This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Glad you're listening in today. Joining me on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod. Alistair will join me in segments two and three of today's program. And we'll be talking about a new Moscow gold exchange as well as changes in currencies worldwide. I'm going to talk a bit about that in this segment as well. Before I get to that, though, it is December, and because it is December, I have a brand new special report for you. The December special report is titled IRA, 401k, and other retirement plan strategies for 2023. I'll be very glad to send you a copy of the free report as well as some bonus information. The bonus information includes a copy of my best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing, a planning strategy for the post-pandemic economy. Just visit the website, requestyourreport.com, and let me know where to mail the report as well as the bonus information. Again, the website is requestyourreport.com. Well, it's no secret that uh, there has have been a lot of changes uh, taking place as far as currencies are concerned over the past 10 years or so, and as time has passed, more of these currency changes are becoming reality more quickly. Now, this past week, Mises.org, which is uh, a website that I like to read, it looks at things from a libertarian perspective, um, wrote a piece about the Federal Reserve now sowing the seeds here in the United States for a central bank digital currency. Now, what is a digital currency? Well, a digital currency is a currency that exists digitally. It, it exists online, if you will. Bitcoin is a digital currency. It's a private digital currency. Now, the whole idea of a digital currency may sound interesting, may sound intriguing, it may even sound like a good idea, but the article from Mises really offers a bit of a different perspective and one that I happen to agree with. I'm going to give you a bit from that article, quote, It may seem that the purpose of a central bank digital currency is to facilitate transactions and enhance economic activity. But central bank digital currencies are mainly about more government control over individuals. If a central bank digital currency were implemented, the central bank would have access to all transactions, including being able to freeze accounts. The article says it may seem dystopian, something that only totalitarian governments would do, but there have been recent cases of asset freezing in Canada and Brazil. Moreover, a central bank digital currency would give the government the power to determine how much a person can spend, establish expiration dates for deposit, and even penalize people who save money. Let me repeat that. A central bank digital currency would give the government the power to determine how much a person can spend, establish expiration dates for deposits, and even penalize people who save money. Now, if that doesn't sound like a bad idea to you, then you and I are not on the same page. Now, this war on cash 
is also a reason given as to why governments want to implement central bank digital currencies. Think about it. If cash ended, it would mean less privacy for you and I and would also allow central banks to maintain a monetary policy of negative interest rates with greater ease. I mean, if you have to use a digital currency that exists only online, it's going to be very easy for banks to impose negative interest rates or put another way, charge you to keep your digital deposits in their bank. See, if there's no cash, there's no safe, there's no cash in the safe, and my opinion is, that this will be very bullish for gold and silver as freedom-loving people look for an alternative to this digital currency. Now, this is happening around the world now as we speak. In 2020, as we talked about here on the program, in calendar year 2020, I should say, China launched a digital currency pilot program. Seeking Alpha reported on this, noting that China wanted to implement a central bank digital currency because, quote, this would give the government a remarkable amount of information about what consumers are spending their money on. Unless you think that this is something that is happening only in foreign countries, the Mises article reports that the U.S. is getting ready to establish its own central bank digital currency or something similar, and the first step was taken this August when the Fed announced FedNow. Now, FedNow will be an instant payment system, and it's scheduled to be launched between May and July of 2023. That's five to seven months away. Now, FedNow is practically identical to Brazil's PIC system. The PIC system was implemented by the Central Bank of Brazil in November of 2020. It's a payment system that uses mobile devices without user fees. And, of course, it was promoted as being a very safe system to use. And it took only a year and the PIC system had just half of the Brazilian population using it. Now, it's important to understand that PICS is not a Brazilian central bank digital currency. It's a payment system. However, the Brazilian central bank has access to transactions made through the PIC system, so you could really consider the PIC system to be the seed of the Brazilian central bank digital currency. And now the Fed is getting ready to follow suit. The Fed has recently launched a 12-week pilot program with several commercial banks, their goal being to test the feasibility of a central bank digital currency in the United States. This pilot program uses digital tokens to represent bank deposits, and institutions involved in the program will make simulated transactions to test the system. Now, Reuters reported on this, saying, quote, the pilot program will test how banks using digital dollar tokens in a common database 
can help speed up payments, end quote. Now, if you're wondering what banks are involved in this pilot program, it includes Bank of New York, City, HSBC, MasterCard, PNC Bank, TD Bank, Truist, U.S. Bank, and Wells Fargo. Nigeria has implemented a digital currency, and this past week there was an article published that the Central Bank of Nigeria now, to force the use of a digital currency, is now restricting the amount of cash that consumers and businesses can draw from ATMs. You can withdraw, if you're a consumer or a business in Nigeria, the equivalent of $45 U.S. per day or $225 per week. If you want more than that, you won't get cash. You will be forced to use the digital currency. Now, there are exceptions to that rule that require approval of the central bank. And, of course, it is a cumbersome bureaucratic process to attempt to get permission. As I mentioned in this segment, I believe these developments will be very bullish for gold and silver as freedom-loving people look for alternatives to these digital currencies. Now, if you are just tuning in, I'd like to remind you that you have an opportunity to get the December special report this month. You can get the report by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. The December 2022 special report is titled IRA, 401k, and other retirement plan strategies for 2023. In the report, we also talk about the new changes that were made just a few weeks ago to 401k plans. So if you have a 401k, you'll be, you want to be sure to get this report. If you have a 401k and you're of the age of 59 and a half or older, there's information in this report that uh, I think you'll find to be very interesting, perhaps even uh, vital or critical to a successful retirement. So again, visit the website, requestyourreport.com, and I'll be glad to send you a copy of the report as well as the bonus information that comes with the report, including a copy of the Revenue Sourcing Book. Uh, the Revenue Sourcing Book in 2020 was a bestseller, and it contains a retirement planning strategy for the post-pandemic economy. So again, to get all that information for free with no future obligation, visit requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod. You can read Alistair's work at goldmoney.com. Uh, you can click on the Our Research tab, and uh, Alistair's work is, uh, is work that I follow regularly, and I encourage you to do the same. And uh, Alistair, welcome back to the program. Always a pleasure to have you on. That's my pleasure, Dennis. So, Alistair, I uh, just finished uh, an interview uh, within the last few weeks with a guest who seems to think that uh, the Federal Reserve here, to talk about the United States Central Bank, uh, understands that they cannot continue to inflate or create currency, whatever term you want to use, and he is projecting that we will uh, morph into a deflationary depression next year. I think that's uh, not quite how you see see things. So uh, could, could you respond, please? 
yes, I, um, I wouldn't um, uh, try and demolish his argument on the basis that uh, there is no doubt in my mind that bank credit has started to contract. Now, the importance of bank credit is that all um, GDP transactions are settled in bank credit. So if you get contracting bank credit, then you're going to get contracting GDP. So, um, you know, quite simply, there is that relationship. Um, and if we if I'm right and we're getting contracting bank credit, uh, then uh, obviously the Fed has a problem because it will uh, have to uh, somehow try and accommodate dealing with a recession while at the same time dealing with inflation, price inflation. And uh, I think that uh, the contraction in bank credit could be sufficiently severe to bring about that um, uh, you know, real uh, recession, a deep recession, which, of course, the Fed will then try to counter. So it's likely to pivot with QE um, and also to try and soft pedal on the interest rate uh, side as much as it can, so long as it is not overtly inflationary. But at the end of the day, I think the Fed is faced with a simple choice. Does it save the economy and save government finances and save the markets and let the currency slide? Or does it protect the currency and uh, let uh, markets slide, let the economy slide and let government financing go to pot? I think, I mean, my, my view on this is that the choice the Fed will make at the end of the day will be to protect the economy, protect government finances and uh, try and uh, support markets. So I would see the result of this situation being uh, actions which will lead to a weakening of the dollar. And of course, we've got the same problem in all the other currencies. So um, this may not be reflected as such in uh, the foreign exchanges, but it is likely to be reflected uh, in uh, resurging um, price inflation, particularly in commodities led by gold and silver. Alistair, uh so, so, so essentially, uh, the, the the Fed has another problem, um, and, and I guess it's related in that um, borrowing costs for the U.S. government, as inflation has come up, are now consuming an ever greater uh, percentage of tax revenues, and a recession, of course, means that tax revenues contract. So doesn't this create problems on a lot of fronts, uh, not only for the, the, the currency, but also for government programs and government spending? Uh, yes, it certainly does. And uh, that's why I think that the Fed will, um, if, if it's not under sufficient pressure to do so, it will tend to uh, try and uh, support the situation where government funding, if you like, isn't threatened too much. And the only way it can do that is by uh, continuing to suppress interest rates below where they really should be to reflect the loss of purchasing power of the currency. So I can see that um, uh, emotionally the Fed is, is going to um, uh, try and um, keep those borrowing costs down as much as it can. But the problem is that if it does that, then it's going to um, sacrifice the currency. So uh, assuming they make that choice, Alistair, and they decide to sacrifice the currency and, uh, you know, the, 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 the dollar and, and, as you mentioned, this is not just a U.S. problem, this is a worldwide problem, but continues to lose absolute purchasing power. Uh, well, what does this end game look like in your view? Well, the end game looks to me like um, we are coming to the end of the 
uh, phase from um, the end of Bretton Woods when we had the last vestiges of a link between gold and the dollar and through the dollar to other currencies, that phase has now come to an end. And uh, the turning point, I think, is marked by a change in trend in interest rates, which have been driven by um, a resurgence of price inflation. And the price inflation was really triggered by an excessive expansion of uh, the quantity of credit in the economy as a response to the COVID um, crisis. And, uh, of course, that has been exacerbated by uh, actions on the political front, um, uh, sanctions against Russia, which has had the effect of driving up energy prices and food prices, which are the most important elements of any, um, uh, um, you know, sort of, if you like, price index, because those are the things that people actually require to live on. They don't need to to buy a lot of the other things in the index, but the one thing, the two things they really do need are food and energy. And it may not be quite such a problem in America, but in Europe, it's going to become very acute this winter. So um, I can see huge, great problems on the inflation front, which could destabilize the whole of the financial system. Well, if you're just joining me, I'm chatting today with Mr. Alistair McLeod. Uh, Alistair is the head of research at Gold Money. You can read his work at goldmoney.com. I'd encourage you to do that. And uh, Alistair, uh, you, you mentioned that, that, uh, that this, this, these issues will really come to light here uh, this winter in Europe. And uh, you wrote a piece, uh, which is uh, one of the reasons I reached out to you to uh, get you back on the program, if I could. Uh, you, you wrote a piece titled Winter in Central Europe and for the dollar. Um, can you just delve into what is going to happen in Europe, in your view, the, the, this winter? Uh, yes. I mean, I, I've, well, we've just described the winter for the dollar, I think. Um, the problem now we face is that there is a new phase in the um, uh, special operation, as uh, the Russians call it. They're now telling, calling it, um, if you like, a um, an attempt to um, uh, attack terrorism. They're, they're specifically avoiding the term war. And what they're doing is they're doing a sort of re reverse siege. They're bombing out all the um, power generation facilities in the Ukraine to make it impossible for the Ukraine, Ukrainians to survive the winter there. So that's going to create, I think, uh, a massive refugee problem um, as this winter, winter sets in. Uh, and uh, it's a new phase in the whole of the, um, if you like, the geopolitical struggle between uh, Russia on the one hand and America on the other, and America with its allies. And it's interesting to note that um, there have been uh, some uh, overtures towards a settlement, um, try to negotiate some sort of settlement. Uh, and that's, that's something that uh, sort of comes and goes in the headlines, but it has been particularly noticeable in the last few weeks. And I suspect that uh, the, um, uh, both sides will try and uh, move towards some sort of settlement. But in this, the Russians, I think, are in a stronger position than uh, the Western NATO alliance. Uh, but as far as Europe is concerned, they're squeezed in the middle. And so this is their winter, as it were, a very nasty winter, because uh, they can see that they're affected by the shortage of energy as well. There's going to be um, real problems, uh, particularly amongst the 
poor, poorer elements in the European Union. Uh, and on top of that, they're likely to have a refugee problem uh, emanating from Ukraine. So all told, this is not going to be a very pleasant winter for Europe. And, and Alistair, there is talk among uh, the, the BRICS nations of developing a commodity-backed currency to be used in, in trade to, to, to bypass the dollar. Um, that, that's somewhat related to this. Uh, do you have any updates on, on that, and, and how do you see that playing out? Uh, yeah, it's more, more than BRICS. It's really the Eurasian Economic Union, which is, a, um, if you like, a, a, a mixture of China, Russia, uh, Belarus, and uh, the various stands in the middle of Asia. Uh, they are trying to cobble together um, a separate trade settlement currency between them. Uh, the objective being that it should be open to being uh, used by other nations as well who might join in. We've got no further updates on that at all. But all I can say is that I've tried to examine this proposition as much as I can and come to one conclusion, and that is that the only way they can do it really is to have some sort of index currency, probably, based on gold. Now, interestingly, the person who is responsible for the committee uh, taking the decision on this, a guy called Sergei Glazyov, is uh, also the man who um, is behind the uh, new Russian or new Moscow uh, gold exchange, which has uh, been proposed in the last month or so. So I think that indicates that his thinking must be going in that same direction. But other than that, Dennis, I really have no further updates at this time. Well, Alistair, we have about one minute left in this segment, maybe a minute and a half. Uh, would you like to give our listeners an update for those who may not be familiar with gold money and what they do? Yes, thank you very much. We store precious metals, gold, silver, platinum group metals, for people all around the world. And we offer um, a custodial service, which, in other words, it remains uh, our customer's property in a number of vaults um, all around the world. They're all insured, um, managed by members of the London Bullion Market Association. So it's about as secure as you can get. Um, and... Uh, my role in that basically is to try and educate uh, people about the um, the difference between unsound and sound money. And uh, legally, uh, this sound money is actually gold. Uh, and we need to get sound money back into the system so that people's savings aren't debauched by uh, government action. So that's really our mission in life. Um, and uh, it's a very easy way for people to buy and sell precious metals and to store them. Well, thank you for that. Uh, my guest today is Mr. Alistair McLeod, head of research at Gold Money. The website is goldmoney.com. I'll continue my conversation with Alistair when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. I'm Dennis Tubergen. You are listening to RLA Radio. My guest on today's program is Mr. Alistair McLeod. He is the head of research at Gold Money. You can learn more about Gold Money at goldmoney.com, and Alistair's articles are posted there under the Our Research tab. I'd encourage you to check that out as well. Alistair, at the end of the last segment, you were talking about this Moscow Gold Exchange that's been proposed. Uh, can you fill the listeners in as to what that is and what it might mean as far as uh, when a world currency might return to a gold standard or quasi-gold standard? 
Uh, yes, Dennis, certainly. I mean, this was something that was um, announced by Sergei Glazyev, who was the same man behind the committee looking at a new trade settlement currency between the Eurasian Economic Union members. Um, I'm assuming that there is a link between the two. But actually what Glazyev said was that this was demanded by uh, the mining and refining industry in Russia, which has been excluded from the LBMA. Uh, so, I mean, that, I would think, is a very good reason and therefore potentially a very good cover for his overall plans uh, when it comes to the new trade settlement currency. Um, it all fits in pretty well with uh, what China is doing as well. And there are links uh, on the gold front between Russia and China already. And I would guess that the standard that they would use wouldn't be the uh, London 400-ounce uh, um, bars, but I think it would probably be the Chinese uh, four nines, one kilo standard. That, to my mind, is a lot more likely. And I, I would also note that um, a number of Asian interests have already moved over towards the Chinese standard. I was uh, warned um, quite some time ago, I think back in 2014, that um, uh, Middle Eastern um, interests we're sending 400-ounce LBMA bars to Swiss refiners to be recast into the new Chinese one kilo, four nines standard. And so that was all the way back in 2014. And now we find that uh, Saudi Arabia is intending to join BRICS next year. Uh, there is no doubt that um, this sort of grand plan um, between China, Russia, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, the Eurasian Economic Union, which I've already mentioned, and BRICS, which we've already mentioned as well, all this is coming together into a huge great union which dwarfs uh, the Western alliance. Uh, and uh, in the center of all this is gold. So in that sense, I would think um, a physical exchange in Moscow, twinned perhaps and working with the Shanghai Gold Exchange, uh, which again is a physical exchange, I think uh, is a logical development in that overall geopolitical context. Uh, but we have no further news, so far as I'm aware, other than what I've just stated and the assumptions that I've drawn from it. Well, Alistair, before we get on to the next topic, uh, I, I, I want to speculate or have you speculate a bit if you would, uh, if you would and that is if Saudi Arabia joins BRICS, does that mean that the petrodollar's death is now imminent? I mean, is that is that going to happen next year? Is that going to happen soon? I think, in effect, it's calling time on the petro on the petrodollar. It's interesting because, as we are recording, President Xi is visiting Saudi Arabia. Now, why is he visiting Saudi Arabia? Well, um, I think last month he came to an agreement with Qatar uh, to for Qatar to supply China with liquid national, natural gas uh, for the next 27 years. I think um, she is uh, planning to do a similar deal with um, Saudi Arabia uh, for oil. So um, the answer basically is that uh, these interests, these, these um, Saudi interests are moving very firmly towards uh, the Russian and Chinese axis, if I can call it that way, the, the greater Asian um, uh, uh, arrangement. And uh, of course, that is going to impact on 
uh, the petrodollar. It's going to impact, I think, on um, the reason that people uh, hold reserve dollars. Uh, they could end up reducing their reserves, particularly as this very important, um, uh, if you like, uh, signal for trade is moving from dollars into the Asian currencies. And there's a further uh, point which I think is worth making is that the Saudis have indicated that they are prepared to accept Asian currencies. Um, but I think that they will probably want to say in the stability of those countries, the currencies. So they are likely to have an input, I think, into the new trade settlement currency proposed by Sergei Glazyev as um, chairman of the committee of uh, the Eurasian Economic Union. So all in all, I think the answer to your question is, yes, in, in time, it is likely to uh, reduce demand for the dollar. And I think we can probably call the petrodollar virtually dead now. Well, let's uh, shift gears a bit, Alistair. And if you're just joining me, I'm chatting today with Mr. Alistair McLeod. He is the head of research at Gold Money. The website is goldmoney.com. Um, Alistair, we, we, we talked a bit uh, before we uh, actually started to record this segment about um, the role of rising interest rates uh, around the world and the effect it may have on um, derivatives. So can, can you maybe give a quick 101 basic explanation of derivatives and then uh, jump into what some of these consequences might look like and then how some of our listeners might be affected? Uh, yes, certainly. There are two forms of derivatives in, in, in the broader sense. You have got the ones we're all aware of, which are regulated futures um, and options, um, you know, such as on COMEX and similar markets elsewhere. And there are the over-the-counter derivatives, which are individually negotiated uh, derivatives, um, which are far larger than the regulated markets. The regulated markets are roughly, I think, 40 or 50 trillion dollars uh, nominal value or notional value, uh, while uh, the OTC markets uh, run at a, an estimated 600 trillion dollars. Uh, uh, now, these are huge numbers. Um, the only ones that really matter, I think, um, are the, uh, the, the foreign exchange uh, contracts, which are either forwards or swaps. Now, all these basically involve the dollar. Now, that, they come to around about $80 trillion. Now, that's roughly, I suppose, it's um, about 80% of global GDP, which is estimated to be about $100 trillion. So this is not an inconsiderable sum. Now, the reason these derivative markets have increased is that uh, they've done so against a long-term trend of declining interest rates. Those declining interest rates basically ended at zero in March 2020, when the Fed cut its rate down to zero and introduced uh, QE at the rate of $120 billion every month. Now, that has now changed. So we've got a turn, if you like, in the, the long-term trend of interest rates. And clearly, while in the next, I don't know, sort of three, four, five, six months, it's not clear because we've got a potential recession and how that might affect the Fed's policy, we don't really know at this stage. But I think it's becoming clear that the long-term trend of interest rates is likely to continue to rise. Why? Because currencies are now weakening against commodities, um, inflation in the, in the effect in the sense of producer prices, consumer prices, and so on and so forth. Those pressures seem to be not going away. They will continue, 
and probably with uh, further um, uh, expansion of credit, they will probably continue to increase as well. So the long-term trend for interest rates is to rise. Now, the effect on uh, the derivative markets is likely to contract them in exactly the same way that uh, falling rates increase the quality of derivatives, I would expect uh, rising rates to contract them. Uh, going back to the currency swaps and forwards, these are roughly 80 trillion, as I said before, most of which involve the dollar on one leg. In other words, people have either bought the dollar or sold the dollar for another currency. And uh, that the notional amount is not on bank balance sheets. What they do is they value contracts at, um, uh, on a mark-to-market basis. And that basically means that what's shown on their balance sheets is a fraction of that total. So we can see that if there is trouble in that market, and bear in mind that the trend of the dollar has uh, uh, changed from increasing its purchasing power relative to other currencies to a decline against those currencies, if we get trouble in the foreign exchange markets, then the scale of those problems are likely to be very, very severe. I wrote about this at the beginning of last month, and uh, I was interested to note that the Bank of International Settlements produced a paper earlier this week saying exactly the same thing. So it's not just my imagination. I think this could be a real problem. Um, of the $600 trillion, um, the bulk of that are interest rate swaps, and the notional amount doesn't really matter because the notional amount never comes to play. That's just basically a marker, if you like, uh, for the underlying quantities. So the real, the real problem, I think, is in um, uh, foreign exchange contracts and also commodities. That's another aspect. And I think that banks are likely to try and reduce their exposure in these areas partly because of Basel III regulations, but also, I think, because their balance sheets are highly leveraged and they will try and reduce that leverage as much as possible and as quickly as possible. So, Alistair, in the time we have left, uh, as you were talking, it, it just occurred to me that uh, this is really a perfect setup for more banking failures and perhaps the, the, a repeat of the great financial crisis that we saw maybe 13 years ago or so. Um, is that valid in your view? Uh, yes, it's entirely valid. And um, I mean, I just hope that, uh, well, we've all got to hope that this time uh, a central bank like the Fed won't turn around and say, well, you know, we've got to make an example of someone. We'll just let Lehman go. <laughs> I mean, right. because, you know, the, the fundamental function of a central bank um, or one of them is to protect um, the public from uh, from commercial banking failures. And um, they really can't afford to let any go this time. But having said that, the risks, systemic risks, particularly from foreign banking networks like the Eurozone, which is very highly leveraged, also Japan is very highly leveraged. These risks are very, very substantial. And uh, with contracting bank credit, they merely get heightened. So, um, yeah, this really is, I think, uh, it's got the makings of one of these periodic banking, cyclical banking crises. They happen roughly every 10 years. So this, is, this cycle has been long in the tooth, and it's overdue for us to have, well, you call it uh, kindly a correction, but I think probably a crash is more, is, is, is more, you know, is a better description. 
Alistair, uh, just in, in, in 30 seconds or so, uh, what would you advise listeners to do? Uh, obviously, uh, I, I, are we going to go back to uh, you know our tangible assets, where you need to be? I mean, it, it, gold and silver seems like the only asset that probably will not be affected here. Well, yeah. I mean, um, I don't give investment advice, uh, but uh, my personal view is, um, and this is based on my studies, is you've got to get um, at least some of your life out of the fiat currency system. Um, I hope I'm wrong about uh, what we have been talking about, but um, if you think there's some truth in what I'm saying, then I think um, to get out of the fiat currencies by having some gold and silver has got to be, a, and it's physical, by the way, in your possession or stored with someone like gold money. Um, that, I think, is probably the safest policy that you can possibly enter into. Well, that's a good place to leave it. Uh, the clock says we're out of time. My guest today has been Mr. Alistair McLeod. He is the head of research at Gold Money. If you'd like to read his work, uh, you can go to goldmoney.com, and uh, you can learn more about the work of Gold Money there as well. Alistair, thank you for being so generous with your time. I know it is in demand, and um, I appreciate you being here. I know the listeners do as well, and we'd love to have you back down the road for an update. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dennis, and I'd love to be back at some, some time. We will return after these words. This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates radio program. I'm your host, Dennis Tubergen. And thanks again to my special guest, Mr. Alistair McLeod, for joining me on today's program. I'd like to remind you that if you've not yet done so, it is December. We do have a brand new December special report. It's titled IRA 401k and other retirement plan strategies for 2023. I'd be glad to send you a copy of the report as well as all the bonus information. When you visit requestyourreport.com, just let me know where to mail all that information. I'll be very glad to do so. Again, the website, requestyourreport.com. And because our special report has to do with IRAs and 401ks this month, I thought in this segment I would maybe give you what I hope will be a bit of a different perspective as it relates to saving for retirement. You know, many of us were told that we should put money in a 401k, we should put money in a traditional IRA, because the contribution that we make to the plan can be written off against income on our tax return. Now, you'll probably notice that I did not say tax deduction. I said the contribution can be written off against income I should have said, to be more accurate, that it can be written off against income on one's tax return, but it'll have to be recovered again at some point down the road. That's not a tax deduction. A tax deduction is a reduction to income that has no strings attached. Think about this for a minute. If you make a donation to your favorite charity or to your church, Provided you itemize your deductions, you get a reduction to your income for tax purposes in the amount of the donation. A $5,000 donation to a charity or a $5,000 donation to your church reduces taxable income by the same amount, and there are no strings attached. On the other hand, a $5,000 contribution to an IRA or 401k results in the same reduction to income, but... It has strings attached. The biggest and perhaps 
Most ominous string is that the IRS is now an investing partner with you in your account. The IRS, at some future point, will likely get a share of every future withdrawal from the account since all withdrawals from an IRA or a 401k are taxed as ordinary income. And the worst part of this arrangement is that the IRS can get a larger share of your IRA or 401k account should tax rates increase in the future. Now, there is an analogy that I often like to use to describe this potentially precarious circumstance. Imagine for a minute that you're buying a house and you're acquiring a mortgage to make the purchase. You arrive at the title company for the real estate closing, and as you begin to review the loan paperwork, you discover that the interest rate on the loan is not disclosed on the document. Neither is the payment amount, nor are the mortgage payback terms. When you inquire at the closing table as to the missing information, you're told not to worry about it. The repayment terms would be disclosed to you at a later time. Now, here's my question. Would you sign the loan documents trusting that you'll be comfortable with the repayment terms that will be disclosed at a later date? I'm sure your answer is no, of course, you would not sign those documents. Yet, yet that is exactly what you're doing when you make a contribution to an IRA or traditional 401k plan. The loan that you get initially in the form of income reduction on your income tax return will be paid back in the future, but the terms of the repayment are unknown because we don't know what tax rates are going to be in the future. That's why, in my view, many IRA owners, many 401k plan participants, participants should take a look at potentially doing Roth conversions while tax rates are lower for tax years 2023, 2024, and 2025. Under current tax law, if nothing changes, individual income tax rates will increase in tax year 2026. Now, as I'm recording this, anyone who wants to, anyone who's willing to pay the taxes can do a Roth IRA conversion. All previous limitations and restrictions on Roth conversions have now been removed. And if you're not familiar with what a Roth IRA is, it is a tax-free retirement account. That's why I'd encourage you to go ahead and go to the website, requestyourreport.com, and order a copy of my December 2022 special report titled IRA 401k and other retirement plan strategies for 2023. When you go to the site and request your report, I'll be glad to send you a copy of the report as well as some bonus information. So again, the website, requestyourreport.com. The website again is requestyourreport.com. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I will be back again next week. Have a great week.